Welcome to the Journey Church Podcast, where as a church, we believe that Jesus should be accessible to anyone. So if you're at home, work, or somewhere in between, you can have access to the weekend worship experience. We'd love for you to stay connected with us by visiting us at journeyorl.com or any social media platform using at journeyorl. Thanks for being with us, and we really hope you enjoy this message. All right, well, we are in the final week of our series on mental health called The Happiest Place on Earth. Have you guys been enjoying it? I hope you have. I got to be honest, when, uh, when the CDC told us that we couldn't meet anymore, we were tempted, I was tempted at least to change the message. I was like, we need to preach on, on unity. We need to preach on that the fact that the, the church is a people and not a place. Or I was definitely tempted to preach a message on fear, but I figured that we hear enough about fear from the media. And I really think God has a plan for all things. I think he wanted this message uh, to come across uh, today. And so I'm gonna stick to what I had in my heart because I want you to know that the reality is the greatest battle you face today is not a battle for a cure or a vaccine. The greatest battle we face today or, or our country faces today is not a battle for the Democratic presidential nomination. It's not a battle between you know, Biden and Bernie. The greatest battle that you face today is a battle for your mind. Your enemy is not a virus. Your enemy is fear, anxiety, worry, selfishness, panic, chaos. That is your enemy. And it's worse than corona because it's more contagious than corona. It's worse than corona because you can't, you can't, your corona you got to get when you touch somebody. You can catch this just by turning on your television. Hello. You can catch this just by turning on your phone. Amen? It's the worst. It's the worst. And it's the worst. It's worse than corona because th while this battle, this virus doesn't take place, I wrote it like this. I want to say it just like I wrote it. This virus, the, the battle doesn't take place in your immune system where, where, where corona is and fought naturally by instinct. The battle for your mind takes place in your soul and is fought spiritually by choice. Your body just fights corona, but you got to fight fear with, by choice. You got to fight it in your spirit. I took my boys to Universal Studios. Anybody been there lately? Um, no, no, that was, uh, I'm sorry. Uh, you got to laugh, you know. Um, I, back when it was open, and I hadn't been there in years, and it was a surprise to see that like 90% of the rides were all 3D. Uh, I love 3D. 3D is fun, uh, but it kind of gets old. My kids were loving it. They were ducking, and they were dodging, and, uh, and it's crazy that the reason why they can see 3D is because 3D has length and width and depth. Length and width and depth. And you need the glasses to be able to see it. I want to put some glasses on you today because I want to show you the third dimension to life. I think a lot of people live in 2D. They only see the world for the body and the mind. But there's another aspect to creation. There's another aspect to existence. And it's not just your body and your mind, but it's also your spirit. You need to see the problem. If we're trying to solve a problem, whether it be the pandemic of corona or the epidemic of mental health and mental illness, the only way we're going to solve that is if we come at that from all perspectives. We can't just come at it physically. We can't just come at it mentally. We got to come at it spiritually. We got to fight this fight spiritually. The Bible says we've got two bodies. 1 Corinthians 15, 44. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. And we've been spending the first three weeks of this sermon series talking about mental illness. And today I want to talk about spiritual sickness. Spiritual sickness. Now, before you change the channel or, or, or go and find another sermon on YouTube or Facebook that has a better title that you think might speak to the need that you have in your life right now, let me encourage you. This is not, uh, not going to get weird, and this might be exactly what you need to hear right now. All right, this is not going to be weird. If you, if you know Journey Church, you know that we're not a weird church. Somebody say amen. amen. We're not a weird church. And I say we're not a weird church because, to be honest, some churches are. All right? And to be honest, when it comes to the, uh, the topic of spirituality, not all churches do a great job of explaining it. In fact, do you know why we say God bless you when you sneeze today? 
because during the plague of the 10th century, uh, when it was going around, somebody would sneeze, and the pope thought that it was a demon getting somebody sick. And so when they sneezed, they would say, God bless you, like, like get out, devil. And you know, so sometimes I sneeze just when the sun is out, and it's not a devil. You know? <laughs> and so we don't do a, a, a great job of, uh, of, of maybe explaining that. Now listen, we believe in that. I want you to know that we believe in rebuking the devil. We believe in prayer. We believe that in heaven and we believe in hell. But we also believe that we have wisdom, that God gave us hands and feet and there are some things that we can do. In fact, there's a reason why we left this sermon for the end of this series because it says in 1 Corinthians, if there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. But look at what verse 46 says. But it is not the spiritual that is first, but the natural. Here's a principle for you really quickly. The natural comes before the spiritual. Now, that doesn't mean that we're not spiritual, but that means that we got to do some natural things along with some spiritual things. For example, don't ask the Lord to bless your finances if you ain't got a budget. You got to do something in the natural before you come at him with the spiritual. God, don't just bless my finances, bless my budget. If you're facing marital issues right now, don't just ask the Lord to bless. God, would you restore my marriage? Would you help me heal my marriage? Yeah, pray that, but also throw out the trash. You know what I'm saying? Also get busy every once in a while with that person. If you're single, don't just pray for that significant other. You know what I'm saying? Like, Wash your face, like put on deodorant, like shave your legs, like do a sit up, you know, check your diet. Like I'm just saying we just can't come to church talking about, well, he's just going to see my heart. He's not. No, he's not like that. He's not like that. Bible says God sees the heart, but man sees the appearance. (laughs) And so you got to work on both. You got to do both. Listen, don't just don't just pray for good grades. You better study. Don't ask God to compensate for your incompetence. You got to do both. You got to do the spiritual and the natural. I'm praying that God would bring an end to this virus. If you believe that, say amen. Amen. But we can't just believe that. We also need to wash our hands. We need to not touch our face. We need to practice social distancing. We need to do all those things. And I think if Paul were here right now, he would say that. He would say it's not just natural and it's not just spiritual. He would say lay your hands on the sick, but after you do, disinfect that hand. That's what he would say. (laughs) (laughs) That's what he would do. He did everything that he could do. He was a tent maker, you know? And so he prayed for provision. He prayed for God to bless him, but he also had a job. He had a side hustle. He believed in the natural. But I'm glad that the verse doesn't end there, and it doesn't. 1 Corinthians 15, 44, 46. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. But it's not the spiritual that is first, but the natural. And look how this verse ends. And then the spiritual. In other words, there is a spiritual side to this. We can't just approach everything from the physical and mental. We can't just approach everything from the natural. We have to approach this spiritually as well. Now, I know that it's right here where we're losing a lot of people because maybe you're new to church and you don't believe in this spiritual world. And I get it. It's easy to dismiss because it's not tangible. But here's what definitely is tangible. Have you ever been in a situation where you've done everything you can do and after you've done everything you can do, it still feels like you can do more, but you don't know what it is? I say our country is in that situation right now. I think the government is doing all that they can do. Schools are doing all that they can do. Churches are doing all that they can do. Doctors are doing all that they can do. Our our, our local officials are doing all that they can do. The NBA is doing all that they can do. The NFL is doing, everybody's doing all that they can do, but they're still coming up short. And that, that part of you that says there's more, I want you to know that that's your spirit. That's just, when you come to the end of yourself, that's when your spiritual world, listen, it's not born in necessity. You become most aware of the spiritual in necessity because you don't pray. Because listen, when, it's when the medication doesn't work that you start praying. 
It's when your child doesn't come home at night that you start praying. It's when you get a phone call that a loved one was in an accident that you start praying. It's these scenarios that awakens the spiritual. And I think that our country is in this position right now to awaken the spiritual aspect of our lives. I think the church is in this position right now to awaken the spirit in the church. I believe that with all of my heart. And so listen, I want to help you today. I'm not a doctor, but if I were a doctor, spiritually speaking, I'm not a therapist, but if I was a spiritualist, then I would, <laughs> I would try and diagnose your issue. And so I want to try and help diagnose your spiritual sickness today by asking you a couple of questions. Here's the first question I would ask you if I was trying to diagnose your spiritual sickness, if you had it. My first question would be, do you have a relationship with Jesus? Jesus. That's the word on the screen right now. That's what you need to write down in your notes. Jesus. I love the names of Jesus in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. One of the names of Jesus. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. You know what I love about that verse? That it's Wonderful, comma, Counselor, comma, Mighty God, comma, Everlasting Father, comma, but it's Prince of Peace, period. Peace, period. Period. I'm going to ask you a random question. If you were to summarize this last seven days, this last week in a sentence, how would you punctuate that sentence? Would you punctuate it with a question mark? Would you punctuate it with an exclamation point? Maybe you would punctuate it with a comma because it seems like every day we're getting new information and it's not over yet and more people are getting diagnosed. I want you to know whatever your sentence is from this last week, you can end your sentence with peace, period. My God is the last word. Jesus is the last word. Jesus is the final word to the problem. He is our peace. We put our hope in him and our trust in him. The disciples learned this the hard way in Matthew chapter 14, verse 24. It says, the disciples who were now in the middle of the lake ran into trouble for their boat was tossed and battered by the high wind and the heavy seas. Is it just me or do the words uh, tossed and battered describe our minds sometimes? I feel like this past week, my mind has been tossed and battered. Are we going to have church? Are we not going to have church? Are we going to do it online? Are we going to do it in person? Are we going to go to jail? I don't know. (laughs) I don't know. Are we going to do it? I don't know. If you're a parent, your mind must be tossed and battered. Oh my gosh. You know, you got a job, but now your kid, now you're gonna be living with your kids for three months. <laughs> okay, that's a problem, because I don't know what to do with my kids for three months. Okay, do I, do I, do I, what do I do if I work? What, how am I gonna care for them? Speaking of care, maybe I can put them in daycare. Can't put them in daycare, because I gotta pay the rent. Speaking of the rent, the rent is due. Speaking of the rent is due, what the heck am I gonna do? What the heck am I gonna do? I can't do it, I'm not sure, I don't know. It, uh, it reminds me, it makes me feel like, uh, you guys remember those pirate ship rides? Back in the day, remember those? I used to love those rides. I feel like our minds are a lot like those rides, you know, except not as fun. And when I look back at what made that ride fun, even though it was terrifying, is that no matter what seat you sat in, you could look towards the middle of the boat, and you knew that the middle of the boat was connected to this round anchor that would turn and turn. You know, I'm not saying that this, that this scenario that we're in right now, that this season can be fun, but I'm saying if you keep your eyes on the anchor, you don't have to fear. If you keep your eyes on the anchor, it doesn't matter how hard you turn, how fast you go, you'll know that you're going to make it out alive. I don't know about you, but I would always go for the highest seat on that boat ride. Anyone else? I would always go for the highest seat. And the highest seat always seemed the scariest to me. And I actually Googled, thank God for Google, I actually Googled uh, why that 
ride at the top of the seat was the most scariest. I thought it was because I was higher off the ground, but it turns out that it's not reason. The reason why it's scariest is because it's the furthest from the center, and any point that's the furthest from the center has the most G-force, and the most G-force creates the most push. And the mo So it, all I'm saying is it's the scariest the further you are from the center. It's the scariest the further you are to Christ. And the opposite is true. The closer you get to Christ, the closer you get to the center, the less scary this thing becomes. That's what happened in verse 32 and verse 33. When they climbed back into the boat, this is Jesus and Peter getting into the middle of their boat. Here's what the disciples said. You really are the son of God, they exclaimed. You really are the son of God. It's amazing to me that they said at this point, you really are the son of God. You really are. What do you think convinced them that now Jesus was really God. You might think it was the miracle, but I don't think it was the miracle because up until this point, I have a list here, I had to write it out. 19 miracles had taken place before this miracle, but none of those miracles made the disciples say, you really are the son of God. I'll just read off some of them. Casting out an evil spirit. Peter's mother-in-law was sick. Peter was mad about that. Uh, miraculous catch of fish. Uh, leprosy. Man, leprosy healed. Paralyzed centurion healed. A withered hand healed. A widow raised from the dead. Uh, a woman with the issue of blood. Jairus' daughter back to life. Two blind men were healed. Another man who was unable to speak. Feeding 5,000. Why is it at this miracle that the disciples realize you really are the son of God? Because it wasn't the miracle that made them realize who Jesus was. It wasn't the miracle that wanted them to get Jesus in their boat. It was the storm. Don't tell me you got faith when you hashtag pray for Paris. Hashtag pray for Italy. I believe it too, but you know what real faith is? When the storm comes to your house, when the storm hits your family, when it's you who got sick, when you're the one who needs Jesus, when you're the one who's in the middle of the storm, that's when your faith gets the realest. All I'm saying is maybe this storm is happening so that we can all turn to Jesus and invite him to come into the boat and give us the peace that our minds and our souls so desperately desire. If you believe that, say amen. amen. That would be the first question I would ask you. Do you have a relationship with Jesus? The second question I would ask you comes from James 5, 16. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. You know, Christians have a pretty amazing belief system. We believe that Jesus died on the cross to forgive us for our sins, but not just the sins that we committed, not even the sins that we commit today, but we believe that when Jesus forgives us, he forgives us for every sin that we will ever commit. That's amazing. Now, that does not give us a lot. If you're new to Christianity, you're like, what? Somebody just go wild, Oprah, boo, a party. It's like a buffet, you know what I'm saying? All you can eat, it's already paid for, right? You can just go in. Not the case. Grace is not a license to sin. It's freedom from fear when we do. And that's a great message, grace. That's a great message, forgiveness. But he didn't say that in chapter five. He didn't say, therefore, confess your sins to God and you will be forgiven because they already knew that. And he's not talking about forgiveness. He's talking about healing. He's saying, confess your sins and you will be forgiven Right? No. He's saying confess your sins and you will be healed. You know why? Because the question isn't do you have sin? Jesus already took care of that. The question is do you have secrets? Secrets is the second point right there. First question I would ask you if I was diagnosing you spiritually, I would say do you have a relationship with Jesus? The second question is do you have secrets? Because when we confess our sins to God, we're forgiven. But when we confess our secrets to people, we're healed. You can write this down. We will always be as sick as our secrets. We will always be as sick as our secrets. I got bad news and I got good news for you guys. That's about me. Would you like to hear the bad news first or the good news first? Uh, when on three, shout it out. Shout it out at home on three. Bad news or good news. One, two, three. Bad news. 
<laughs> I feel like I did a Dora the Explorer thing there, you know, with the TV talking back to you. Swiper, no swiping. Uh, I heard over here, I don't know what you said at home, but I heard a lot of bad news. We always want the bad news for Here's the bad news. I have a, this is my, I was a pastor. I have a lot of sin. That is the bad news if you expect your pastor to be holy and good. This is not your church. <laughs> got issues. I have a lot of sin. I got good news. Somebody say good news. I have a lot of sin, but here's the good news. I got no secrets. I got no secrets. My wife, God bless her, knows every single one of those sins, and she loves me anyway. There is a pastor in Maryland who leads a great church, I-5 City, Pastor Jimmy Rollins. He knows every single one of my sins. I got sins, but I ain't got secrets. I remember when I was a kid, my dad used to say, you can ride your bike, but you can only ride your bike on this block. It was Travis Avenue. Travis Avenue was cool. There was a hill. But next to Travis Avenue was Mulberry Street. And that's not made up, but that's for real. It was Mulberry Street. Mulberry Street had the biggest hill. And so even though my dad said to stay on Travis Avenue, I was like, I'm going to Mulberry Street. And on Mulberry Street was that hill. Boy, there was a killer hill. Um, I, what happened, what had happened, on the hill was I was going real fast and I was coming in and out. And as I was coming out, uh, long story short, got hit by a truck, okay? <laughs> so, uh, so not like a semi-truck, in case you're wondering, it was a Dodge Ram. I can still see the words Ram in my nightmare coming out. I was having a time, I looked over, the Ram truck hit me. I fell off my, my bike, my bike was bent in half. I flew probably about 10 or 12 feet. The guy came out, he said, are you okay? And the first words out of my mouth was, don't tell my dad. <laughs> Please don't tell my dad. I was like, because I survived this car accident, but I might not survive that whooping. I might not survive that whooping. Please don't tell my dad. And, uh, and so he, he just wanted to make sure I was okay. I think that was before cell phones, and so he couldn't call nobody. you know. And so, uh, and so I just went home, and I knew my dad could not find out that I got into this accident, because had he found us, I'd be in trouble. Um, the problem was that I had a really bad limp. And my bike was all bent out of shape. So I hid my bike. You know, we lived in New York, so I just, it got stolen. I could have said that, you know. <laughs> but I had this limp, so every time my dad would come to talk to me, I would always be in a sitting position. <laughs> always be in a sitting position. I didn't want to have a conversation with him. But it was hurting so bad, it would even hurt when I sat. And I had a, a choice to make right now. Would I hide and be hurt, or would I, or would I, or would I share and be healed? I needed medical attention, but the medical attention that I needed was not going to come if I was not willing to let go of my secrets. You know, hiding can be exhausting, and sharing can be freeing. You need to find, and you know what, he, I, he wasn't even mad. He wasn't even, I guess because I almost died, he wasn't even mad. He was kind of relieved. I'm just saying, you might be surprised when you find someone you trust and you share with them. They might be more relieved. They might be more open. They might be more loving than you think. And so my first question would be, do you have a relationship with Jesus? My second question would be, do you have secrets? And if you did have a relationship with Jesus and you don't have secrets, my diagnosis might be, you might be in the wilderness. Somebody say wilderness. wilderness. The wilderness comes straight from scripture. The wilderness is a dry place. I don't know if you've ever been there. You're dry spiritually. Uh, you, you, you feel like you don't have any direction. You worship and you don't feel God's presence. You pray and, and you don't hear anything. It seems like you're always getting into an argument with the ones that you love. You read your Bible and it just looks like Japanese. Like you did the words, the letters don't make sense. It's just nothing uh, to you. Uh, food loses its taste. Color loses its vibrancy. Uh, if that's you, I want you to know um, if you're in this wilderness today, God is not mad at you. That's not what the wilderness is for. 
In fact, here's how I know. Matthew 4.1, then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness. Jesus was led by the Spirit of God into the wilderness. God led Jesus into the wilderness, but it wasn't because he was mad at Jesus. He wasn't mad at Jesus. And how about this? Right before that verse comes another verse, and it says this, and when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were open to him. He saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove coming to rest on him, and behold, the voice from heaven said, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. Did you catch that? I am well pleased. Now go into the wilderness. <laughs> I love you. Go into the desert. I love you. But I'm going to have to leave you for a little bit. I love you, but I'm going to take you somewhere. Now, you're not going to like this. There's a reason why God puts you in the wilderness. You're going to hate this word. You're going to hate this word so much, but it's real. The reason why God's putting you in the wilderness is because he's trying to test you. We hate that word test. We hate it, and we hate those who administer it. And we hate the flashbacks that we get of it, the pop quizzes, and the, you didn't tell me this was going to be on the test. And you said pages 41 through 46. This is definitely on page 47. And we just feel like the person who is administering the test is trying to destroy us. You know, I've seen that firsthand now because my wife is a homeschool mom. I want to be very clear that my wife is a homeschool mom. I am not the teacher don't have the patience. I'm the pastor of the school. I'm the, the chaplain. She's the, <laughs> she is the teacher. And I have seen my kids bawl, cry on Test Tuesday. I think that's what we call it. Test Tuesday. Whenever Test Tuesday comes around, this is what Justice always says. Why? He thinks my my wife is trying to destroy him. He thinks that my wife is getting, but that's not what tests are for. You know what a test is for? A test is there to try and get the knowledge you have out of you and put the knowledge you don't have in you. Let me say it another way. A test is there to get stuff out of you and put stuff in you. I said a test is there to get stuff out of your heart, the things that don't need to be there. And a test comes to put stuff in your heart that need to be there. I believe that the church right now, because of COVID-19, is in a wilderness. I think there are some things that God is trying to get out of the church that should never have been in the church. I'm not saying they were bad, but I think that we might have made the mistake by making it our focus. You know, no church today is meeting in a building. Maybe that's because we made a mistake somewhere in these last 25 years of church by, making, by thinking that a building was the church. And God said, I'm going to have to take away the building so that you understand that this building is not a church. Maybe he had to take away our fog machines and our lights because for so long we thought that a great production was a great church. And now Jesus says, a great production is not a great church. When, my pre when you have great presence, that's what makes a great church. So I'm going to take away the production aspect and leave you with my presence. And I'm going to leave that. You know, maybe we made attendance the thing that, was, that we were going to brag about. Are we going to tell people, thousand people came to my church. 10,000 people came to my church. So he had to take away attendance. You know how many people come to my church today? As many people as come to Hillsong today. Right now, we all got the same size church today. Ain't nobody got a big church. We all got small church. Because I think God was saying, y'all making it about the numbers. And it ain't about the numbers. It's about my message. It's about salvation. It's about Jesus. And so he had to take it out so that he could put back in what he wanted it to be. And so I want to ask you, what did he want to take out of you? And what does he want to put in you? And before you answer that question, just know you're going to be mad at him because the things that he wants to take out, you're going to think he put in. 
But the things that he wants to take out, we're always there. Anybody got gold on them? We didn't practice it beforehand. Anybody got gold? We are underprivileged in this. Got gold? Amen. Earring. Let's assume that earring is 14 karat gold. It's probably 24 because your boy, he takes care of you. But let's assume that it's 14 karat gold. If that earring is 14 karat gold, you know what that means? That means it's 14 parts gold, but 10 parts other metals. If you were to throw that earring in the fire, thousands of degrees Fahrenheit, it would melt and the gold would show and then the zinc and the magnesium, the aluminum, the iron, all that would show too. And you would look at that and you would say, who put that there? But the person in the, behind the furnace would tell you, no one put that there. That was always there. It just took the fire to bring it out of you. Wow. It just took the fire to bring it out of you. Some people are so mad at God. God, why are you making the stock market crash? You're making me anxious. God's not making you anxious. You put more trust in money than you did him, so he allowed the stock market to crash to get the anxiety out of you. You're not experiencing anxiety, you're expulsing it. That's not a word. <laughs> We're gonna make sure it is though. We're gonna, exercising it. That's how it is. God, why you got me with my, with my family for three months? You know, Lord, I ain't got the patience to be with my family for three months. You testing my patience, Lord. Why are you testing my patience? Because you don't have any. And so he needs to put you in a situation where that can be revealed so that you can work on it. Why does he want you to work on your patience? Why does he want you to work on putting your trust in him? The same reason my wife wants my son to work on his, uh, his vowels and on his syllables so that he can get to the next level. If you want to get to the next level, God's got to put you through situations that show you what you don't have that needs to be in you and what shouldn't be in you that needs to come out of you. That's what the wilderness does. That's what he's testing you for. Someone say, he's testing me. What if you do you're in the wilderness? Keep going. Keep going. Don't blame nobody else. Look at yourself. Take ownership and ask God to do the work in your life. Finally, my last diagnosis would be if you have a relationship with Jesus, if you don't have any secrets, if you're not in the wilderness, and only leaves one other option, you're at war. You're at war. Warfare. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10 through 12. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, and against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. You know, usually I would struggle finding an illustration to connect to this spiritual concept. As a preacher, if you ever see me preach before, I love illustrations. And the reason why I use them is because I'm trying to make spiritual things natural. But I don't have to look far to find an example of an invisible enemy. There's a virus going around right now that is killing thousands of people all over the world. And it is an invisible enemy. Listen, the enemy, we have an enemy. His name is the devil. And just because we can't see him, just because he's invisible doesn't make him any less real. He is out for our families. He is out for our calling. He is out for our destiny. He is out for our purpose. He is the one that we are fighting. The Bible says our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against him and the forces of evil. You need to know who you're fighting lest you fight the wrong person. I know when I get into fights with my wife, and I do, I'm a pastor, but I still get into fights with my wife, I have to remember that I might, be, I might be having an argument with her, but this argument is a symptom, it's not the struggle. The struggle behind the symptom is not between me and her, but God's children and God's enemies. You gotta know that. If you work in customer service and you, you're talking to somebody rude, that rude person is not the enemy. 
That rude person is not the struggle. If somebody cuts you off in traffic, that's, that, that person is not the enemy. You got to tell that car what Jesus told Peter, get behind me, Satan. <laughs> like literally, you're in front of me. Get behind me. That's where you were before. <laughs> you got to know who you're fighting. Why is it important to know who you're fighting? Because if you misdiagnose the sickness, you'll write the wrong prescription. You'll write the wrong prescription. You can't fight a virus with an anti, what do they call those? Uh, biotic. You can't fight a virus with an antibiotic. You fight a virus with an antiviral. If you don't know that your enemy is spiritual, you're going to try and fight this depression. You're going to try and fight this in a natural way. You're going to think more money is going to solve your problem. You're going to think more friends are going to solve your problem. You're going to think more followers on social media is going to solve your problem. More recognition, more love, more sex, more drugs. This is not a natural thing. You are at war, spiritually speaking. And you need someone who can fight a spiritual war. And some of you guys are at the end of your rope. You're exhausted because you've done everything in your power to fight this battle and it's not enough. Exactly, because you've done everything in your power. Now it's time to call on a higher power to fight the fight that you can't fight. You can't punch corona in the face. You can't drop kick the coronavirus. If you wanna fight it, you gotta fight it in its dimension and on its level. That's why I'm so grateful for the way that God created the body. You know that in your body right now, there's a fight going on. Let's say you were infected with this virus. There's a fight going on right now. It's gonna make sense. It's gonna make sense in a second. And this fight is between this virus and your immune system. And inside your immune system are these things called white blood cells. And as soon as the virus shows up in the body, the white blood cells identify that that virus is not supposed to be here. And so the moment it comes in, the white blood cells begin to fight. And it might fight for a week. It might fight for two weeks. But if you're a healthy immune system, you will fight that fight and you will win that fight. You know why? It makes sense now. I don't know if you ever heard this saying before. If you're new to church, you've never heard it. But maybe if you, if you grew up in church, you definitely grew up around this statement, plead the blood. You ever heard that? Plead the blood. We don't say that at during church too often. We've said it before. We don't say it because if we don't say it, if we say it and we don't explain it, it's just weird. I don't like blood. I get weirded out when I see blood. Uh, I went to go get taken blood the other day and I was like, just do it. I can't look. I can't look. Justice is like, how are you so brave? I'm like, I don't look. <laughs> I don't like blood. But I want to explain it if you ever hear a Christian say that term. When they're saying plead the blood, what they're saying is the same way the blood and those white blood cells fight that virus that seeks to infect you on a level that you can't fight with your own strength. When we plead the blood over our family, what we're saying is there's something going on in my family and it's not just natural, it's not just physical, it's not just mental, it's spiritually, but I can't fight this fight, so I need the blood. Come on, somebody. I need the blood to fight the fight I can't fight. When I plead the blood over my, 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 my relationship, my marriage, I'm saying because I've come to the end of me. I've gone to counseling. I've done the therapy. We've read the books. I've gone to the Joyce Myers conference. None of it worked. So now I need the blood of Jesus to do what only the blood of Jesus can do. Jesus, will you fight the fight for me? I, I, I appreciate the doctors who are on the front line fighting this virus, not sleeping. I appreciate the nurses whose baby are being watched by other people just so they can take care of us. I appreciate the, the Congress getting together and passing legislation that's going to help. But my help does not come from, my help comes from the Lord. I need him to do what only he can do. I'm glad that everyone is doing their part. But church, we need to do our part now. We need to ask the blood of Jesus to do something that only the blood of Jesus can do and fight this on a spiritual level. You got to fight this spiritually. What does that mean? It's asking God to fight for you. It's asking God to fight for you. And I want to do that today. 
Maybe you're here today in this room or you're watching online and you're fighting a fight and you know it's bigger than you. You know it's bigger than you and you need Jesus to come and fight that fight for you. You've done everything that you can do. It's already done. Here's what I love about this. Give me one more scripture. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 13. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything to stand. Did you see it? The correlation between the natural and the spiritual. And after you have done everything, stand. Why stand? Because after you have done everything, after you fought with all of your ability, after you fought with all of your knowledge, after you fought with all of your know-how, stand and watch God fight for you. Stand. I've done everything I can do. Now I'm just going to stand and he's going to fight the fight for me. Because I've done all I can do. Fight this fight for me. Right now, all over this room, and if you're watching this online right now, you've got a fight that only Jesus can win. It's a spiritual fight. You've done everything you can do. Now it's his turn. God's not reactive, but he's not rude. He's not going to just move because you moved. He's going to move when you invite him in. So we're going to invite him to make a difference in our lives, to help with that situation. Father God, we're coming in your presence right now. There are people who are struggling with job loss right now, struggling with sickness right now, juggling with fear and anxiety, and we've done all that we can do. Right now, Holy Spirit, we invite you to fight the fight that we can't fight. Win the battle, because we can't win it. We need your help. We need you to come. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen and amen. I have a special prayer right now for those who are watching, maybe even in this room. You've heard the name of Jesus, but you've never made a decision to invite him into your heart. I want to invite you to receive him, to begin a personal relationship with him. He loves you. Spiritual warfare, this is where it begins, right here, and allowing Jesus in your boat. If you've never made that decision before, you want him to live with you, stay with you, stand with you, to bring you peace in the middle of that storm. When I say three, I want you to lift up your right hand. I won't be there to see it, but God sees it. If that's you and you're watching, you want to take that step, invite Jesus into the boat, fight the fight that only he can fight. Jesus, live inside my heart. Maybe you made this decision when you were younger. Maybe you never made this decision before. You want to come back to him. That's you. When I say three, shoot up your hand. One, two, three. Jesus, I need you in my heart. I need you in my heart. I need you in my heart. You can put your hand down. Everybody in the room, would you help me pray this prayer? Dear Jesus, I give you my life. I've done all that I can do. And I ain't got no more. Will you take it from here? Step inside my heart. Heal me. Rescue me. Fight for me. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We hope you've enjoyed this message, and we would love to hear your story and how this ministry is changing your life. Please email us at amen at journeyorl.com. And if you would like to support financially, you can give online at journeyorl.com give. If you're in the area, join us on Sunday for the full experience. Have a blessed week.